Hey guys, welcome back. Gerard Marone here, Director of Contemporary Media, sitting with Pastor Jason. So we've wrapped up the follow series, and where are we going here? So this is the beginning of a new series that I'm so excited about. It's called For Them, uh, and it's filling the cup of this generation and the next. And really, it's a series that talks a lot about the why behind the what that we have done over the last four years here, and what drives us forward whether it's in worship or Sunday school, children's ministry, youth ministry, outreach, mission, uh, small groups, all of it is really driven by this idea that the fundamental posture of a Christian is to be thinking beyond yourself towards somebody else in humility that you are loving someone else. And so that the church exists to be not for us, but for them. And uh, this is the kickoff of that series. Sure. So is there a specific scripture reading that you're going to be focusing this whole series around? Absolutely. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is really the basis for uh, a lot of this theologically, and that is, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and what that meant for the disciples and what they were called to do. It really says a lot about what the church is and who it's for, and uh, I'm just so excited. This is is great. So we're going to do this for three weeks leading up to Advent. Okay. Now, how does this tie in with the busy fall season and all the things that go on in the life of the church? Yeah, this, man, we just get, we have so much going on and we're so thankful for it. And that's why we are having a, a Sunday of Thanksgiving on November 20th. When this service, uh, when this message series ends, it's also a day that we're devoting, especially uh, in our worship service, to give thanks. And we're giving thanks by... Uh, participating in different mission projects around the church. It's also the day that we're going to be sending in our pledges for our capital campaign. It's a great way to tie the things together, that uh, this is really for them, and we are going to invest in the for them uh, going forward. And so uh, we're excited about that. Now, next week, we also have something else really cool. Stephen Trafton is coming. He's a Broadway actor. He's going to come. He's got this great ministry called Living Letters, where he's going to reenact the whole book of Ephesians. Just uh, him. <laughs> just him. All by himself. So next Sunday, uh, the 13th at 7 p.m., okay. uh, he's coming. We want everyone to come out. It's free. So there'll be an offering, but it is free. So come on out. And I will add one extra plug. Uh, on that November 20th, day of Thanksgiving, that is when uh, the last call for mana bags and for the Thanksgiving turkey donations that day. We'll be sorting the bags and making sure that they get to families in time for Thanksgiving. Sounds good. And for those who don't know, maybe our inside lingo, what is a mana bag? Sure. So a mana bag, we, we put together, uh, our church collects donations to give turkeys to the surrounding community, and we collect bags with all the trimmings to go along with those turkeys. Uh, last year, we collected, I believe it was 500 plus turkeys, and we had about, that's right. yeah. and we had about 300 mana bags to um, attach to them. So obviously our goal is to go one-to-one, be able to give every family a turkey and all of the trimmings as well. If you are interested in doing that, every Sunday before and after service at the Welcome Center are the bags. And on there is a little list of all the different things to buy, the mashed potatoes and the um, yams, and all of that information is right on the bag. And you just bring them back on the 20th, and we make sure they get to the right people. So it's a a really big ministry for us here at the church. Awesome. So I hope you guys enjoy the first week of the For Them series here at Tower Hill Church. I apologize for the Jason show today. It's just kind of how it worked out. (laughs) And I'm going to juggle later. Uh, 
I am so excited for this uh, message series. And if you're a visitor with us, your first time with us today, I'm glad that you came today because this is really going to explain a lot about what we're about. And for those who've been coming for a long time, or maybe you were with us when we were over in the Webster Hall and in, in Fellowship Hall uh, until we moved into this space, maybe you were with us for that whole ride, you're going to see kind of unpacked over the next three weeks the why behind what we have been doing. And this is something I am so, so passionate about. This series is called For Them, Filling the Cup of This Generation and the Next. What does it mean? The church indeed is thriving. I love how positive that video is. The church is one thing, but the institutional church is something completely different. Uh, They are related, but they are not exactly the same thing. I hope that you find that you can get excited about this. This, not just as a pastor and a leader, but as a Christian. That we will get excited for what we are going to do in this church today and the next. Well, let's talk a little bit about institutional America. Institutional America is struggling, not just church, but institutions all over the country. Really, post-World War II, a lot of those institutions that were built up, basically America, built up by that generation after World War II, all those institutions are changing or they're declining. It used to be institutional participation was the way that you affirm the American way of life. And you did things to meet together in community. So you had work, and you had home, and then you had the third place, which was church, or the Elks Club, or the bowling league. You had some kind of institution that gave you an opportunity to have that place in your life. And sociologists are really interested right now in the fact that we've lost a lot of our third places in America for people to gather. And this is such an opportunity for the church to reach out and to create community that is so desperately needed. But the institutions of America, and not just the church, have been struggling. Let's take, for example, Eastman Kodak Company. This company, it once held 90% of film sales in the United States. We talked a little bit about this at our session meeting, that, gosh, 90% of the market. In fact, they coined the whole phrase, a Kodak moment. Some of you are old enough to remember, a Kodak moment which was synonymous with photography. Everybody knew. You go to another country and they knew what Kodak meant. I mean, talk about a mega brand that had a huge market share that was appealing and successful and profitable. But by the time we get to 2012, they declared bankruptcy. Why is that? Well, we all have smartphones with really good cameras on it, digital photography, which, oddly enough, Kodak pioneered. They just didn't jump on fast enough to adapt to the changing reality of the world around it, and so it declined. This is happening in churches all over the country. While the church, the people of God, can be thriving, the institutions are hurting. How many of you uh, are Fairhaven residents? So you may know this next story. There's an Episcopal church on River Road in Fairhaven. Church of the Holy Communion. 125 years of ministry and service to Fairhaven. 
In 2009, they were down to six people in worship. Six. So they closed. And just last year, they demolished the site. And there are now three houses on that site. It's not just little churches either. It's big churches. How about this? Some of you remember the Crystal Cathedral. Dr. Schuler, Crystal Cathedral. This was a mega church before there was such a thing. 1981, they built this magnificent structure. Some of you are old enough to remember the Hour of Power with Dr. Schuler. So you're twitching a little bit. It's okay. You're remembering. You're remembering. That's good. 2,700 seats. They had 10,000 members. They were hugely successful. Leap ahead to 2010, they declared bankruptcy. In 2012, they had to sell their building. Why? Because they failed to adapt to the changing environment around them. And I happen to admire Dr. Schuler's work a lot. But you have to say, something went wrong. We've gone over some of these staffs recently that in the United States, in fact, data shows 4,000 churches a year close their doors forever. And 2.7 million people stop coming to church every year. I mean, it's like, I, I'm not, I, not like a math person, but I can tell you that math is not good. Every single year. What is happening? Well, I think it's the same thing. The church is failing to figure out how to adapt to the changing world around it. And so you get a bunch of different reactions when this happens. The, the panicked reactions. So these are different ways that churches react. Number one, the ostrich. Everything's fine. We're just going to keep on doing our thing, chugging along. Sometimes it's like that, and sometimes it's like we just got to hold on to everything we hold dear and just hang on while this thing's going down. Like my Aunt Irene, you're going to put plastic on the couches, and you're going to cover everything, and you're going to make people sit on. <laughs> oh, poor Irene. I loved my Aunt Irene. Uh, but if I went through the Depression, I probably would put plastic on couches too. But the point is, we're just going to protect and preserve, and that's all that we care about. And the changing world around us can just go on changing. We're hanging on to what we have. Then there's the other approach, and I think this is so important. Well, all we have to do is add a contemporary worship service or replace a traditional service with a contemporary worship service. If you don't think about why you want to do that, and you just do it because you think that'll work, it will not work. It depends on your community, your culture. It depends on the people. It depends on the needs of the people. You might be in a, in a community where that is not the need. Maybe the need is to change the time of your traditional service. I've seen churches around here make this mistake so badly because I think that's the answer. We're just going to add a service. And then they don't do it well. And that's worse than having nothing. And then you have, or you have another church that says, okay, well, choir, put all the robes away because we're done with that. And we're just going to start doing contemporary worship. Huge mistake. Why? Because that's not the needs of the people. Some of the needs of the people... But in our area, you know, there is a market for both, big time. 
Or what I call it, and I apologize, I'm so, like, my head's so full of football right now. Um, but I was thinking about free agency versus team development, developing your players. So hang with me. Okay, if you're not a football fan, basically, if you have a superstar on another team, when their contract's up, you can try to hire them to be on your team. And you pay them way more than they're worth because they're such a star player. You think they're on your team, and you're just going to succeed. Listen, as an Oakland Raiders fan, I can tell you, it does not work. It does not work. You're better off. The teams that win consistently over time do what? They develop their own players. Because in their own players, they understand the culture they're trying to create, and they can thrive in that culture. You can't take someone from another culture and expect they're going to thrive in your culture. Churches do this all the time. They say, well... This church over here is doing this, so we're just going to take this, and we're going to lift it up, and we're just going to plop it down in our church. That does not work unless you figure out what your people need, and how do you translate it to the people that you need. It might look totally different than the way that church does it. You see what I'm saying? But that's a panicked reaction. It's saying, well, uh, we just need to do small groups, and uh, you know, that's how they do small groups, and so we're just going to do it just like that. That rarely ever works. You can't escape the hard work of figuring out what's going on in the culture around you. Because the problem is these reactions will never work unless you first address the real issue. And there's a scripture that I think gets to the heart of this issue. And that is in the book of Acts. So the church of Acts, you know, what happens on the day of Pentecost, the disciples are all gathered in that upper room and they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen next. And they hear this thunderous sound of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lands on them in this kind of big, powerful, crazy way. And they start speaking languages that they didn't even know. And they go out into the streets. And here's what happens. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us is hearing them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome... Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is so deep and so important. This might be the central theology that drives everything that we are doing, and that's this. What is the purpose of the church? I'll tell you, it has everything to do with The first gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. God's been waiting that long to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. He does. What's the first gift is the gift of translation. The gift of explaining the wonders of God in the language of the people. This, I think, is the primary purpose of God's church. We should always be translating the wonders of God into the language of the people. And if you don't know the language of the people, it's not going to work. The message never changes, but the method is always changing. Otherwise, they're not going to hear it. The first gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And it's a gift with distinct cultural purpose. And, and here's how. The, the apostles didn't just start speaking la- every language. They only spoke the language of the people in the room, so to speak. It has a purpose to it, an intention. We, Tower Hill, have been placed here in this greater Red Bank community to speak the language of our culture in a way people understand. We hope that's what you find here, because that's what we're trying to do. To explain the wonders of God in your language. And this really gets to the heart of what is the church. The word for church, back in the New Testament, had nothing to do with a building. It actually comes from two Greek words, ek and kaleo. You go to the next slide. And the next. There we go. What is the church? Ek and kaleo means to be called, the people who are called out. The ecclesia. That's where we get the word ecclesiastical. Ecclesia. The people who have been called out. I love it in today's vernacular. You've been called out. (laughs) The people who've been called out by God. Why? What does that even mean? We've been called out. We've been identified. It means that we've been created on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is this, to be sent. If you look at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus' words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are the called out and we are the sent ones. It's funny how over time it became about the called in and the gathered ones. It's not wrong to gather and worship. Of course, that's fine. But churches become so inwardly focused, we stop being who we were created to be. When it's all about how much money do we have? What do our resources look like? You know, when it's just about that for its own sake, it is not being the church. It goes even deeper than that. Remember John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And here's what Jesus says to us. He's praying to his father. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Our identity as God's people are the ones who have been called out and sent. What does that mean? you got to be able to speak the language of the culture that you are sent to so that you can declare the wonders of God. What did that sentness look like for Jesus? It looked like him serving people. It looked like him on the cross. It looked like him whispering forgiveness to us all, even as we're nailing him into it. It it looked like humility and service and love and self-sacrifice. 
That's what it looked like for him to be sent. And he says, now as I've been sent, I'm sending you to do the same. We are now the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Jesus, when he's washing his disciples' feet, he says, I have come not to be served, but to serve. You do the same thing. I think sometimes, I think this happens accidentally. I really do. That churches become like, what's it all for us? But you see, for us is never the posture of the church. Never. Never has been, never will be. The posture of the church is, what can I do for them? I became a Christian because people thought that way. A group of Christians thought that way. They were for me. I wouldn't have come to know Christ without that. My family was helped in a very dark hour by people from church. We wouldn't have had that. You see, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. What kind of a world are we handing to our kids? But most importantly, what kind of a faith are we handing them? Are we wringing our hands because we're so nervous about the election as if God's not bigger than that? Or about terrorism in the world, whatever it is. As if God can't overcome it? I think churches start declining because they become inward focused. They have a lack of awareness of the culture around them. And then the lack of a desire to try to know the culture to even speak to it in the first place. And and listen, a lot, you can't just expect someone from another culture can come to your church or you can explain to them in like churchy words and for them to understand what you're talking about. There's a dramatic example of this from one of my all-time favorite family stories of Easter. Now, I didn't get to meet my grandparents. They passed away young, unfortunately. But I have lots of stories that my mom and my aunt would tell about their family gatherings. Now, my mom's side, all Italian and very rowdy. And so there's this one Easter story. Talk about a (laughs) translation of cultures. One Easter, uh, they're having Easter dinner. And they had invited a colleague of my grandfather's from Jonathan Johnson to come over for Easter dinner. He was from Japan. He and his wife were there. And they were invited to come to Easter dinner. So by the time they showed up, the way that my family explains it, my grandparents were already in the bag. Like they were rowdy. Like it it was already way past, you know, (laughs) civility. And so uh, the doorbell rings, and there's this couple, the Japanese uh, man and his wife. And the wife, from what I understand, was beautifully adorned in some traditional garb. I mean, they really, this was a really honor for them, they felt, to be invited to this dinner. And they come in amidst this rowdy, like crazy atmosphere. And they come and sit down, and they were very stoic, very, you know, calm. And but you're just kind of taking it all in as, you know, my family's going crazy. Well, at one point, I guess my grandfather thought it would be funny to take hard-boiled eggs and crack them on my grandma's head 
and be like, oh, thanks, and start opening the eggs, like crack. Hey, thank you, honey. And so this went on for a while, but he would just like go around and like crack her on the head and like, so this poor Japanese man gets up with an Easter egg and he turns to the wife and he cracks it right on her forehead. He thought this was a custom of what you do on Easter in America. And this, I mean, this poor wife like could not have seen that coming. And apparently she just like took it like totally like stoic, like probably afraid to upset them. And, and they left, and my family, like, were just horrified. That, did he go back to Japan and start cracking eggs on people, thinking, this is, oh, this is how they do Easter in America? Here's the point, is that we sometimes, we speak in a different language. It's not the language of the people. It's like we're cracking Easter eggs on their heads, and they think it's our tradition. They have no idea what we're talking about. So we have to figure out, how do we speak in a way that kids will understand the gospel? Or 20-somethings, or 30-somethings. How do we figure out how to explain the gospel in this culture that we're in? A culture where we are so busy, we could barely come to church ever. It's like, it's like we're moving mountains to create an hour for God. And that's not to make you feel guilty. I know, like if I weren't a pastor, I know that I'd be like having a hard time sometimes. We're just running so hard and so fast. And we have to figure out that we have to learn the language of culture. And we have to explain the love of Jesus in a way that people understand. We have to be willing to adapt our methods for the sake of the message. We have to be sent. We have to go to where people who don't know Jesus are. I think the real work of the church is what happens Monday through Saturday. When all of you are out in your life, and you're on the soccer field, and you're out at work, and you're hanging with your friends, that's the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, when you're called out to be Jesus Christ to those people that he has already put in your life. And then we come back on Sunday, and we get fired up, and we learn, and we get ready to go, and then we go back out there. We're like a missionary outpost. That's the church. To be for them is to genuinely love others enough to speak the wonders of God in their language. And let's go back to Dr. Schuler at Crystal Cathedral. He modeled this early in his ministry. This is how they grew so big and so fast. His mission, and this is what his church worked on, he said, for the people, find a need and fill it, find a hurt and heal it. It was always about them. Always for them. And he was a wild man. You know what he, you know what he started his church? Go to the next slide. In a drive-in theater. He was a pioneer. He was like, whatever it takes to speak the language of culture. I'm so sad that my kids haven't been to a drive-in theater. And that whole experience. But he had people come to the drive-in theater and they put an organ on top of the concession stand. He was way ahead of his time. He was doing whatever it took to change the method so that he could get across the message. And that's what we've done here in our sanctuary, in our children's space. We went from 1950s classroom style to what we have now. 
because of the Faith Forward campaign, right? That's what we're doing. That's what we've been talking about. The people's needs steer the method. It reflects the response to the people and to the gospel. But we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. We're just scratching the surface of the people that we need to reach. Here's the thing, and here's, here's the thing as I close about the Faith Forward campaign. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a really hard time standing in front of you and asking for money. I have a really hard time with that because I don't want this church to be, to come across that we're like that. That it's, it's about what you can give for us. And I know that some of you come from churches where you had a bad experience and you are allergic to being asked for money. You have an actual reaction. But I also have to say this. The pain of me not seeing our vision funded is worse than the pain of asking. I mean, it takes funding to do this. And with this Faith Forward campaign, this is such an opportunity. This is such an I would love it. I told everyone at the 9 o'clock, I said, wouldn't it be great if the whole traditional service was 100% participants in the campaign? Even it's like 30 bucks. Close your ears, Stephen. Even it's like 30 bucks. Like just, just to participate in it, to show that you care. That yes, this is for them. And all of us, that we would participate in some way. But it's not just about money. We're going to need you to volunteer. We cannot keep up with the growth in children's and youth. We need more volunteers. We need more volunteers in missions. We have like the same people doing like 15 missions. We need your help. We need people to help in our guest services. We need you. We need everyone. Will you join us? Will you join me? Because I really do believe that God has big plans for us and our church to keep sharing the love of Jesus and creating transformation in our communities with the gospel. And maybe we'll just look like this, church, at the end. Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what happens when you start speaking the language of God in their people. I love that right now then we get to have communion because where does that strength come from? Remember, it was the Holy Spirit that enabled them to speak the language.